0: Amen. Do you guys appreciate this fan? These guys work so hard. Let's let them know. Yeah. These guys. Volunteering so much, especially over the holidays, we really do appreciate you guys. Uh, I'm Chris Thielen. It's nice to see everybody. What a great crowd! Thank you for coming out on New Year's Day. This is great. Um, it's nice to have the kiddos in here, right? And and so many of them that I get to see usually every Sunday. So as far as that goes, I don't care if the kids make noise. Like that doesn't bother me. I don't. I have a filter. That stuff doesn't bother me at all. And in fact, even if you adults want to like just cry out randomly, just. <laughs> Fine, just scream, you can cry, we can, there's a cry room right there if you'd like to go, uh, even as an adult, it's open for you. Okay, um, but yes, I'm Chris Allen, the children's pastor, it is really nice to, to be with you guys this morning, and um, then when you came in, you, you got a puzzle piece, right? A lot of you, hopefully, you wanna hold it up? Can you hold it up for me? Alright, good. So now, like, if we had these puzzle pieces and stuff, you, just by looking at the puzzle piece, you would have no idea what this, what this is about, Right? You would have absolutely no idea what the, what the puzzle would even look like. Even if we got all of us together and we just kind of dumped out these puzzle pieces like this, and I've got the box here, but even if we just kind of took a bunch of pieces, dumped them out, and took a look at them, there would still be no way to figure out what we were doing, right? What would be the only way that we would be able to find out what we were going to be putting together? You'd have to look at the box top, right? So I like bald eagles, you know kind of my, what, a spirit animal? Yeah. <laughs> it's because I'm an American. Yeah. Not because I'm bald or anything. But, um, yeah. Anyway, but th- that is kind of the idea that um, it would take us far too long to try to put all this together if we didn't know what we were looking at, if we didn't have a box top that we were kind of seeing what the whole picture was supposed to look like. So this here it is, first day of 2023. You've got a lot of pieces on your own table in your life, right? and it would be really hard for you, even just with all these things going on, to understand what the whole picture was supposed to look like. You got your family, you got your job, you've got school, the kids, the friendships, the finances, all the homework, all the house and car stuff. I went out to my truck this morning, and it click 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 didn't start. I'm like, okay, I'm thinking I gotta charge my truck. Luckily, I have my uh, my other car. I was able to take this morning. But you've got extended family obligations, you've got uh, health and sickness, you've got past hurts, future worries. You've, there's a lot of little pieces on the table, right? And it would It would be really hard to know what the picture was supposed to look like if you didn't have uh, the, the puzzle box to look at, the box top to look at. And so, the only way to, I think, to figure all this out of all the different things that we've got going on in our life is to get a picture of what the Lord would have us have in our lives. What, what, the, what is the Lord's picture for our lives, and how are we supposed to put all these pieces together that we have in our life? Now, the Bible's really clear that with our sometimes messy lives, what it's all supposed to look like. He, in fact, he gives us a very vibrant picture, and so my hope today is just to remind you of what the picture looks like. Now, listen, because I understand if you're coming to church on a New Year's Day at 10 o'clock. Hey, man! <laughs> this is the remnant right here. I love it. This is, you guys are the top, and so I, you listen, you know what the picture looks like. I, I think that everybody here has a good enough idea of what the picture that God would have us. to to model our lives after looks like. I'm really glad that you guys are here. It was gonna be really hard for me to to preach to the sound guys and the online streaming camera. Like, I was really hoping somebody would show. It's a lot more fun. Um, But I've got a simple idea for us this morning. I'm just gonna give it to you right at the start and we'll just talk about it. The simple idea is this, is that you were created with value. God gave you a purpose, so don't waste it. all right. You were created with value, God gave you a purpose, so don't waste it. If you want, you can turn to Matthew 22. I'm not gonna put a bunch of the verses on the screen and all that kind of stuff. If you got a Bible, you can turn it on. If you would flip it open to Matthew 22, New Testament kiddos, right? New Testament, first book of the New Testament. Now, so here's our first big point here is that you were created with value. We also have the app. If you want to kind of follow along in the app, um, you can take little notes and stuff in there. But in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 and on, the Pharisees, these are kind of the religious guys that are coming after Jesus. They don't really like Jesus particularly. They are coming after him, trying to trick him in front of the crowd. And they ask him a question in front of everybody, hoping to trap him. And they said... Teacher, is it lawful to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? See, because it's a little bit of a trap because if Jesus says yes, then the crowd's not gonna like that. Who wants to pay taxes, right? But then if he says no, the Romans are right there and they're going to arrest him. So it is a good trap. That's a good trap for those guys. But you know they're not gonna outsmart you know the creator of the world. So um, do you remember how Jesus handles it, though? Does anybody remember that? I Remember, I would like feedback. You can shout it out. I don't care. I, you, yeah, w- rend- nice. There you go. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. We'll get there. But that's what he says. He says, Jesus, knowing their evil intent. There's I'm in verse nine, 18 right here, chapter 22. He says, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? See, because back then, as today, there were images on coins. If you took a coin out of your pocket, there'd be an image of somebody on it. This shows, basically, back then, especially, and today, it shows who made it, who it ultimately belongs to, and who is backing it. That's the idea behind the face on the coin. And so, like, I know that in the news right now, the whole cryptocurrency, FTX, Sam Bankman fried that kind of stuff is is going on. The whole thing seems really fishy to me, doesn't it? That whole thing seems, anyway, that's a whole other thing. I know very little about cryptocurrency. Um, Does anybody here love this stuff and like knows a lot about it? Because I want to get some lunch with somebody to explain it. (laughs) Matt, you look like you somebody, no? Oh, I would think you would. Uh, Anyway, um, but I I did have a discussion with somebody about blockchain and mining and all that kind of stuff and the question is, my question is, what is the value based on? Like when you've got cryptocurrency, who made it? Like when you're mining coin, you're like, who put it there? The little crypto elves go out on the internet and kind of place little coins everywhere and you're supposed to go find them? I don't, I don't understand all that, but uh, there must be something behind it. There's got to be something behind it, right? Because I'm skeptical, because it doesn't seem like it's based on anything that's real. And I realize part of my confusion is that I'm old, you know. And there's some, probably some young guys here that are like, ah, come on, Pastor Chris, you're too old, you don't get it. But I'm, I'm like, well, what is it? Like, what is the actual it? That is out there as a coin because you know like if you took a dollar out, it's you know nice artwork and it's got a picture of somebody on it, a Franklin or a Washington or somebody like that, and and the idea is that you know they're not the ones backing that dollar, but at least what they represent does—the Treasury, the U.S. government. I mean, at least they say they'll back it up. But 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 and it's, it was the same in the ancient world. Emperors and kings would put their image on a coin, and with the idea that they would back it up, it had their authority behind it, and so. Jesus' answer here, when he says, whose image and inscription is on that coin? It was Caesar, right? So what's happening is that denarius was backed by Caesar. The value was based on him. It had the weight and the authority of his kingdom. But Jesus says to them what he said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. See, there's commands all over scripture that we're not to make and worship idols right? So it even made God's top 10. Like, you know, one of the 10 commandments is do, don't make a graven image. So the command of God is do not worship and make image, uh, images. And the funny thing is, you know, the, the Pharisees weren't even supposed to have one of those coins in the temple because it was a graven image. But here's the idea. People are not to make images of God because God already made images of himself. And what was, When was that? When was that? When did God make an image of himself? when he created us, right? God creates the universe, he speaks it into existence with all rule and authority, and the, but the pinnacle of creation was when he creates humanity. And he shares his authority. We just sung it in the song, that we have all authority that he's given. He's sharing his authority with us to rule. He tells us, subdue the earth and rule it. That's the command. And so where is this inscription, this portrait, this image of God? Is it on a coin? Where is it? It's you. You are the image of God. The Imago Dei. God is putting his his inscription, his image on you. And he made you. You belong to him. You have the full weight and backing of God. With his inscription on you. Your value is based on the authority of the one who made you. So Jesus is saying, okay, if Caesar wants his tax money, give him his tax money. But don't miss this. Because remember, he says, but give to God what is God's. You better give yourself to God because he's the one who made you and you have the authority and you were created with value by him. Ephesians chapter one, it says this. I'll just read it. Um, It says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Think about that. Before anything was created, he who chose you. And to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption. To sonship through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and will. We'll get to that. To the praise of his glorious grace. Which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You see we are not created to be apart from him. To be sinful and selfish as we are. To be hurting ourselves and others as we do. You see it says he pleases God to choose us as his children to reveal his glorious grace to be for us to be holy and blameless to be called sons and daughters of the creator of the world and it says in accordance with his pleasure and his will like that makes him happy it's freely given and so god shows us how to be human in fact he sends jesus all those years after he created us after we messed it up with our sin he sends Jesus to show us, hey, this is exactly what it's supposed to be like to be human. This was the original intention. Jesus is the fulfillment of Eden. He says this is what Eden was supposed to look like, That's perfect relationship with God. And so you were created with value. You were on his mind before the creation of the world. And yet we think so little of ourselves. And I understand that because we sin. We get shameful, and we hide from God because of our sin. But dog God, He created us with value. Do you know at the moment of conception, there's a little light? There's a little spark of light. It's, it's some chemical reaction that happens with zinc. I don't know. I'm not a chemist. But all I know is, you can see little videos on it, of it, that when they meet at conception that there's a spark. Now, there's some of the kiddos in here. I always say this to the kiddos. I said, You are not just a fancy, Avery, do you remember? You are not just a fancy Lily. You are not just a fancy animal. That's what I always tell them. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> you are not just a fancy animal. When, you know, all these other things, everybody, all of the, the, the culture wants to tell us that, you know, we're just, higher up in the food chain, the evolutionary cycle, all that kind of stuff. No, you are the height of God's creation. You are more valuable than galaxies and stars and planets. And so when he created us conception, he's, he's, he's rejoicing with a little spark of zinc light. I don't know. And, and I think we need to see this process of like conception, gestation, birth as a holy process. Because last week, right at this time, Pastor Mike was standing up here and he was telling us how baby Jesus on Christmas was God. And the baby, the one who spoke the world and all of creation into existence, was God. Because, you know, I mean, God could have, when he's sending Jesus to the world, he could have sent him as a 30-year-old man. Just boom, dropped him on the earth. He did, it, He can do whatever he wants. He dropped him as a 30-year-old man, let him start being a rabbi and teaching right there. But he didn't do that. He uses a holy process that he believes in to bring his son into the world because he makes humans with real intention. See, he spoke to everything else. You remember when in Genesis 1 when he's talking about he's, the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and the heavens and the animals and the mountains and everything else. Everything he made, he spoke, he spoke, he spoke. But then in Genesis 2, 7, he says, the Lord formed the man from the dust of the earth and breathed into him the nostril, into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. It's, doesn't it this picture like God's in there forming humanity with his hands? He's not just speaking at him he's like in their form and he's breathing into his nostrils. It's like he is intimately involved because he said, this is the height of my creation. And that makes you valuable. Another part of Christmas is that you know, the angels are telling the shepherds, they said, you're gonna find a baby lying in a manger. And the word they use for baby there is the Greek word brephos. Okay? So the baby lying in the manger. Now, now did Jesus have value as a baby lying in the manger? Anybody? Hello? It's like, okay, that's a, that's a softball, everybody. Like, that's an easy one. Okay, um, yes, Jesus had value as a baby lying in the manger. But then when, when Mary was still pregnant with Jesus and shows up in Mary, at Elizabeth's house and John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's belly and Jesus, you know, Jesus and Mary walk in and John the Baptist starts having a party in the womb and he's kicking and doing all that stuff. And then what did they refer to John that was in the womb? As a brephos. So just so you know, The Bible uses the same word for John the Baptist who is in utero as he did for Jesus lying in a manger. So as far as the Bible's concerned, a baby in the womb is as valuable as a baby outside the womb. Like that's just geography, right? So your savior uses no distinction in dignity, value, and worth between a baby that's inside the womb or a baby that's outside the womb. And so the only, in my mind, the only the one who creates you, whether it's the coin, whether it's the baby, whatever, Gets to say what your value is. So I think we need to stop looking to other things and people that didn't create you to determine your value. Your value is not based on what any person says about you, on how many likes you get, on how you feel in the moment, on your income, on your job title, and how many friends you have, and on your popularity or your accomplishments. I'm sorry, that doesn't determine your value. Your value is based on the only one who matters, and that would be the one who creates you. Your value is based on the price that somebody's willing to pay for you. And the Bible says you were bought at a price. And that price is the greatest price that could ever be paid the blood of the Savior, right? So, can we just admit here that we have value from the moment of conception when you were a little spark? Okay, so it starts there, (laughs) Second part of this is, God's given you a purpose. Because so what happens is, if we have value, then of course we have purpose. If God's going to create us with value, he's going to create us with purpose to go along with it. So the world mocks us for believing, you know, that, that we were created with value, and they'll tell us, you know, no, 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 you're not that important, you evolved over millions of years through random chance and chaos, you're just a moist robot. That's all you are. And um, we're all here just by cosmic accident. There's really no deeper meaning here than just surviving, just live your 80 years, uh, you know, survival of the fittest, that kind of thing. There's really no purpose in life because after that, we're just worm food or shark bait, ooh, ha, ha, you know, that kind of thing, right? So do you think that that mentality, your life has, you didn't come from anything, you're not going anywhere, your life doesn't really matter because you're just, you know, A moist robot. Do you think that that mentality that's so pervasive in our culture right now has anything maybe to do with why anxiety, depression, and death from despair are at an all time high? Do you think maybe that could be correlated? Because did you know that before COVID, one in eight Americans were taking antidepressants, but that rose nearly 20% in 2020? That from 2009 to 2021, The number of teens who had, quote, unquote, persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%. We have almost half our teenagers out there with persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. We've got this incredible rise in opioid use. We've got all these deaths from despair. Now, listen, I'm not making a point about medication. I know that many people suffer and they need it. I'm just saying that... um, just that with so many that are diagnosed with anxiety and depression, do you think that there's something about our modern age that is disorienting and robbing us of meaning and purpose? There's a New York Times article a while back said that vets are seeing this huge rise in anxiety in pets, and they're, they're, they're giving antidepressants and CBD to pets. I mean, come on, people. Even the, even the animals know we're in trouble. Like, what, <laughs> you know? How how do they know? But why not? The the confusion, all the confusion in our culture about what's real. All the questioning of age-old truths. All the creating of this new morality out of thin air. I mean, how do you maintain being a faithful Christian in such a confusing world? I'm going to give you a little shameless plug here. Parentheses, okay? I'm doing a a class starting in February, Gospel University, Wednesday nights, right here in the lobby, I would love to have you come, because we talk about all this stuff, how to be grounded in a larger um, foundational truth of God that he has us from the beginning. So I would love to have you come, we'll start in February. But here's my thing, is that you've got to, in order to, to uh, know the purpose and the plan that God has in all creation, and to understand that you are just, are a piece of that puzzle, in order to understand how you fit together in that picture, you got to know who you are and what you believe and why, and how to answer people when you're challenged on it. See, I don't think you can live with purpose if you don't know what you're supposed to look like. You're never going to finish the puzzle unless you have the box top to look at. And so here's a good illustration. So if you want to go to Disneyland, you have to kind of know where you're starting from, right? Because if you're starting from here, you're going to go south on I-5, but if you're starting in San Diego, you're going to go north on I-5. Right? So you, it's really important to know where you are in relation to where you're going so that you know exactly how to get there. Otherwise, you're going to be going the wrong way. Now, so I'm going to take a little side here, because just the way Pastor Mike likes to joke about the Raiders, now listen, I'm a lifelong Raider fan, and they completely deserve it. Okay, everything that he says, I, like, I have no re- rebuttal to anything anybody says bad about the Raiders. So. But um, the way that he jokes about that, I kind of feel the same way about Disneyland, Okay, so I'm really sorry, like if you're one of those Disney people, um, I'm just going gonna, gonna to riff a little bit on Disneyland, um, sorry, don't get goofy about it. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing, I, I, here's the thing, I don't, I don't hate Disneyland, I just don't want to go anymore. Like I w- I'll go when I have grandkids, like that'll be totally fine, I'll spend my money on my grandkids, I don't want to go un- until then. Um I'm um, just having fun, okay, so if you're one of those Disney people, well, you're probably not here, you're probably down there, but, uh, <laughs> but whatever, uh, with 50,000 other people, um, but th- let me just give you a few reasons why I think that church is better than Disneyland, okay? It's, it's, it's New Year's Eve, let's have a little fun, okay? Can you give me a little fun here? Okay, this is why I think that church is better than Disneyland, this is my own list here, okay? Because in Disneyland, the parking, you, have, you park so far away, and it costs stuff, it costs money, doesn't it? It's been a long time. It costs money to park at Disneyland, right? Listen, our parking's free, okay? Um, Disneyland 350 miles away. We're in the same town, y'all. And and, you know, I know when you go to Disneyland, you got little kids, you're like the whole time you're nervous about losing them in the crowd. You can bring your kids here. We'll watch them for you and teach them the Bible. Like, that's way better. Um, You can stand in line for an hour at at a ride or you can just walk right into church. You don't need a fast pass or nothing. They probably don't even do that. Listen, you can spend $18 on a cardboard hamburger if you want. um, Or you can come here and get free free cookies and coffee. All right? Because here's the thing. There's things about Disneyland that people never say about church. Nobody ever complains that the ride goes too long. Okay? Nobody ever blames Disneyland if the other attendees are unfriendly. And... uh, Nobody ever says, well, you know, my parents took me to Disneyland so much growing up, I don't want to force that on my kids. What's up with that? You know what I'm saying? And then some people, again, sorry Disney people, some people will watch Disney movies over and over, but they get mad when we play the same songs. All right? There's some people that are mad that the church doesn't explain our rationale behind every decision that we make. Oh, but Disneyland's secret tunnels are cool. Um... There's people that can quote more movie lines than Bible verses, that's for sure. There's people who know who Ursula is, but they don't know who Uriah is. And there's a lot of people out there that are mad at me right now because I'm a kid's pastor who dared to speak bad about the mouse. So I understand that. So I hope I didn't touch a nerve. I'm kind of halfway playing here, but you know I ain't wrong. Okay, you know I'm not wrong about Disneyland. I got a lot more too. Um, but, but here's the idea with Disneyland. Okay, let me come back. So the idea with Disneyland is... In order to get there, you have to know where you're starting from, right? So if you're starting from here, you're going to go south. If you started starting from San Diego, you're going to go north. It's really important to know what, where you are in relation to where you're going. And that, that way we know our purpose. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Again, verse 11, it says, In him we, also, uh, we were also chosen, having been predestined, get this, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Does it sound like God has a plan and a purpose? Oh, he does. Trust me, he does. In order that we, who were the first to hope, put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. You see, it's saying right here that God has chosen us, predestined us according to his plan to conform to the purpose of his will, that you were created with value, yes, but you were also chosen to have, with plan and with purpose, and that's for his glory. That's the box top. That's how we know what our life is supposed to look like. So when you look like, when you feel like your life is just this jumbled mass of puzzle pieces, and what the heck is all this supposed to look like, this is, that's what it looks like. You were chosen with a plan and a purpose for God's glory. Now that should release you from a lot of anxiety. That seems to me like you should be able to handle a lot of the world's chaos with this larger purpose and plan and that's what we want for you here in Tracy Mountain House, Lathrop. That's what we want for you here at the church. That's why we're making this push to kind of um, get people plugged into ministry at Southwest. Remember in, in October, lots happened since then, but we did a little survey. And it's still on the app. We'd love to have you take it if you didn't take it. But we've got a little survey where we're trying to match people's um, gifting with all these areas of ministry. We're calling it place ministry. So it. it Spells an acrostic. We're in church. It's gotta be an acrostic, right? So the P is purpose. We want you to find your purpose. The L is learn. We want you to learn what that is. The A is align. We want to align you with the different areas of ministry that we have in the church. The C is for coach. We're gonna coach you up and train you in that ministry. And the E is encourage you. We're gonna encourage you. So we're trying to create this system I'm giving everybody in the church plugged into some area of ministry, not just all here on Sunday. It's not like we, want, we just want something from you. We want something for you. This is part of your discipleship journey to get you plugged into ministry so that you can fulfill the purpose and the plan that God has for you because you know some of the grumpiest people you know are disobedient Christians. You know what I'm saying? There's people that don't know the Lord and they're just out there doing whatever they want to do and it's fine but there's other people who know the Lord and they know they're not serving the way that they should and they're not doing anything to, in their purpose toward the kingdom and they're grumpy about it. Like disobedient Christians are the worst, <laughs> right? And so our part of this is we want you to know how God has put, you, put these things in your heart that you have a purpose that you can sacrifice and give to others. And I'm saying don't wait to be asked directly. I'm trying to call people, but don't, you don't have to wait. for You can call me, you can email me. Where can I plug in, right? Come talk to me. I will find a spot for you. But you know that God has gifted you for works of service. And our job at the church here is to help you find your place in that larger puzzle. So you feel like you're connected to something that's greater. God's purposes in the world. So in Revelation chapter five, um, there's this picture of this scroll That's sealed. And a lot of interpreters um, kind of understand that scroll being the, maybe the, the scroll of the, of the picture, of the way that of the, all of history wrapped up, that, that God wants us to understand um, how all of history was wrapped up within that scroll, and it's, you know, God's ultimate purpose and plan, it, right, it, right in that scroll. But there's nobody that was worthy to open it. But this is what It says, This is John, Apostle John, who's reciting. He's talking about what he saw. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming of a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, this is of course in heaven, right? Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Verse seven, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and he opened it. You see, only Jesus is worthy to open the scroll. Now, it refers to him as the Lion of Judah and as the Root of David, which is kind of a kingly uh, reference to Jesus. But, but then how did it refer to Jesus when he actually went to go open it? As a slain lamb. It's not the lion or the king pictured opening it. He's pictured as a lamb that had been slain. Because I think that Jesus' greatest picture, he says, I'm a king, right, and I'm a lion, but I want to best be known as a slain lamb who's died for you. You want to see the purpose and the plan of God unfolded in this scroll. It's, going, it, it, it's centered around the cross. When we, Jesus took our sin, put it to death. So he's encircled by heavenly creatures and elders and spirits, and they're all praising him. And at that moment, the slain lamb, the sacrificed savior reveals all of history's meaning. Can you imagine what that's gonna be like? To be there and to see Jesus unroll all of God's purposes, to see how it all fits together, to see with a whole puzzle is gonna look a lot better than that Dollar Tree puzzle. I'll tell you that. It's gonna be amazing. We- I think then we'll get a better glimpse of how our little puzzle piece fits together in this larger picture, how all of our pains and trials and all the things that we've been through, all the things that we don't understand, why, God, did you put all these things in my life that make it so difficult? Why, why do I have to struggle in all these other areas? And it's gonna make sense. We're gonna look at this unrolled scroll and we're gonna say, like, Jesus, I see it, I see it. I see it, the kingdom plan in everything. And I see how I fit into that. Because you see, when you think about Eastern religions, the the, the way they picture you as an individual is you're just a drop in an ocean. You're you're not really individual. You're just one part of you. You know, at the end of it all, you're just uh, molded into this universal one. You're just a drop in an ocean, not not distinguishable. But that's not the way Christianity and the Scriptures talk about it. It says that we're all important parts of this puzzle together. You're a stone in a temple. You can't just take one out, right? You're a member in a body that you are a piece in a puzzle that you guys have put together a puzzle before, right? And what if you lost one piece and you got this puzzle sitting there and there's one piece missing? It'd drive you nuts, especially you OCD people. Like, that you nuts. It's not done. What am do I doing? But that's Christianity is the, piece, is the picture of is every person has their place. You don't just get molded into this unconscious one. No, God has something individual for each one of you. So you are created with value. You're created with purpose. Your place is vital to the kingdom puzzle. And so with so much at stake, my last point is this, don't waste it. Doesn't it feel like so many of the things on a day-to-day basis that seem so important to us that on, 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 like you'll see something on the news or whatever and it seems so important on that day when you're watching it. And then a few weeks later, you're like, just forget about it. Like, it's no big deal at all. And we take in so much news, so much secular culture, so many Facebook and Instagram stories and entertainment stuff. It's like little bits of candy and caffeine. You know, you eat it and it like amps you up for a little while, but then it fades and it's gone. And it's just, we get so worked up about the tiny little things that three weeks from now are going to matter at all. You'll forget about it. You don't even remember it happened hey, in 2023, let's replace all those little temporary pieces of nothingness with this bigger picture. And constantly, instead of taking on all that garbage, remind ourselves of the bigger picture that God has, these eternal things that will not fade. And let's not waste it. So back to Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And here's the part I wanted to say. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil, Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So as Ephesians was saying before, this is all for his glory and his pleasure of his will. Be, in order to make God happy, the pleasure of his will. So I know I kind of bagged on Disneyland late, earlier. I get it, okay. Um, and it's mostly because I'm a cheapskate, you know that. Because I just, you know, I don't feel like spending all that money, and waiting in lines. It's too hot. All the things, right? And I think part of it was because for years I was a youth pastor, and I used to always take groups of teenagers there. Well, that's ridiculous. You know, that's, that's self-torture, you know? And, and so it just was brutal. And that was before a cell phone when kids could like check in by, hey, Pastor Chris, I'm doing okay. And so I would always say, you have to meet me by the Matterhorn twice. I want to see your face twice during the day. And if And here's the thing, this was the rule back then for me. If they didn't meet me, I'd find them. You know, I'll I'll find you. And your punishment, for for an hour, you have to go ride, it's a small world. That was the punishment. I, and, but I'm not standing outside, because you can hear it outside of a small world. So I was like, I'm gonna go stand over by the Matterhorn, and I'll come back, and I'll meet you here in an hour after you've ridden that ride for an hour, and you get that song in your head, and you're never gonna forget it, right? And then you can come back over here, meet me, and then I'll release you, and you can go, and I'll see you at 11 o'clock. That was kind of my rule. So you can see where that would ruin Disneyland for me, right? So I just don't, you know, whatever. I spent hours waiting for kids Anyway, uh, just drives you nuts. And it's hot. Six dollar sodas back in 1998. Jeez. Anyway, so, but I will say this. I will hesitantly admit that one of my best moments, though, as a dad was at Disneyland. Disneyland. All right, so we went with my family, on my side of the family when the kids were little. So Joel, my son, was about three. My nieces, my brother's niece my brother's daughters, they're about six, four, two, something like that. So it was four kids, all, we were over by Toontown. It's about five o'clock in the afternoon and everybody was wrapping up. The girls had no stamina just said, "No stamina." So you know, I'm like, "You know, oh, it's five o'clock. I got to go take a nap." I'm like, Ugh. And "Not too cheap, right?" So I'm like, "Let's get our money's worth around here." You know, I'm going go back to the hotel and take a nap. You kidding me? I didn't sleep tonight. Anyway, so <laughs> we were over there, and uh, and part of it, I wanted to get out of it because Joel never napped anyway. So we would go back to the hotel, and he'd just be like. You know, and wide awake, because it's no good. So anyway, so we're at the fountain in Toontown. There's a little fountain there. Again, this is 20 years ago or something. And I gave Joel some change. We're just deciding what to do. So I gave Joel some change. And I was like, here, buddy, toss it in the fountain and make a wish. And he's looking at me funny because he knows I don't throw money away. So he's like, what's, dad, is this okay? You know, I said, yeah, 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 buddy, it's okay. And I said, said, I told him, I said, make a wish and throw it in the thing. I said, what, and he didn't get it. I'm like, what do you want, buddy? And he looks at me, I can't believe it I can still see it. Cutest little eyes looking up at me, and he says, I just want to make my daddy happy. Oh my gosh. I don't know about you talking about enchanted or the happiest place on earth. I'm like, I don't buy that. But that was unbelievable. So I just lost it, man. I scooped him up, get a big old hug. I love you so much, buddy. I said, do you still want to ride rides? He's like, Yeah. I'm like, Yeah. I'm like, You guys go back. Just me and Joel. We're gone. You know, Christy, I got them. We're fine. You know, and, and everybody else went back to the hotel and we just rode rides till the thing closed. It was back when they had the little light show on the river thing, whatever that is, you know, and everybody's standing there. We got there early. I put them on my shoulders. All the people are behind me getting all my head. Put your kid down. I'm like, Yeah. You know, I'm like, Shut up. He told me he wants to make me happy. You can be quiet back there. You know, and that guy, I was like, There's no way I'm putting my kid on my shoulders so he can see the whole. Thing. You know, I don't even have to see it myself because I'm short, but he can see it. You know what I'm saying? There's no way I was letting him down. But those, imagine, those eight words. I just want to make my daddy happy. I know what it did for me. Can you imagine what that means when we say that to our Heavenly Father? we just saying, you know, all my life you've been faithful. You've been so, so good. Your Father has been so good to you. And he will move heaven and earth to bless you. If your attitude is, I just want to make my daddy happy. Listen, don't waste your brief moments here on earth and miss opportunities to please your heavenly father. It just said his purpose, the purposes of his plan for his pleasure and his will. He made us valuable and with a purpose. How dare we squander that? Last April, I got many of you know I got a chance to go to India with a church planning network that was there. And I got a picture up here. This is Bibu. Okay. You, they call him Bobby. You can tell why, right? You gotta go by Bibu. Um, uh, sounds like he's a, like a minion. <laughs> Bibu, Bibu. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but Bibu, uh, Bobby grew up Dalit, which is the lowest caste, or one of the lowest castes up in northern uh, India where we were. His entire family was worshiping all the gods of Hinduism. And, uh, and he was in one of the 500,000 unreached villages up there in northern India. His grandfather was a Hindu priest. He had never heard the name of Jesus until a church planner in this network goes to his village. He began to preach about the life of Jesus, and, and Bobby was talking about, he was talking about the cross and how Jesus shed his blood to die for us. And Bobby interrupted the pastor that was speaking, he said, "What can a God with nail-scarred hands do for me? My Hindu gods are stronger than your God. And then he went on with the story and he talked about the crucifixion, Jesus dying. And he says, my Hindu gods can't be killed by men. So he was pretty you know, antagonistic against this, this preacher. So the church plan took him aside, shared with Bobby that Jesus is the one true God, he loves sinners, he rose from the dead. And uh, Bobby believed. His entire life was transformed. He began to get discipled, received a year of church planter training. He has led 21 people in his family to Christ, including his grandpa, who was a Hindu priest. And he planted, I know, this guy is amazing. He's planted, get this, 38 house churches. He's planted 38 house churches and led over 1,000 people to Christ. And his, the, the team that he's planted has gone on to plant 750 churches. Wow. Right? This guy's amazing. So... Bobby is not wasting it. <laughs> he's simply, But he's simply living out God, per, God's purposes in his area. Just like you can do here. Now, you, I know it's, it's really easy for us to sit here. and Well, yeah, but I'm not Bobby. I'm not like that. that, that that's, God didn't make me that way. That's, that's not who I am. I could never do that. I'm not a missionary. Stuff like that. But listen, you have a mission field. You're, wherever your daily routine is, That's it. God has already put people in your life to be your mission field that you can lead to Christ. You might not start 750 churches. But you can lead somebody to Christ. You can, you know, if you're a teacher, your classroom is your mission field. You're, you're, if you're a parent, it's your kids and their friends and their, and their school and their parents that are there, your neighborhood, the office where you interact with people daily. And you, just, you start talking with them about the gospel and what it means. And at, With work, your clients and your kids at school, those kinds of things. You see, God has put those people in your life to demonstrate the kingdom to them. To tell them that God values them. And we have a family that's in our, our Southwinds Church family, the Begonics. They were meeting, we did a little foundational Bible study um, in the fall, and they're both in the medical field. and They were sharing every week about these stories about how they were sharing the gospel with their patients. They're being very careful about it, but boldly sharing Christ with people in their moments of, uh, when they were scared and, and these people were really open to hearing. They were fulfilling God's purposes, being a missionary at their work and not wasting it. They're great, uh, Ariel and Christian. You see, I just think that the cure for our culture's depression, anxiety, fear, worry, anger, division, sadness is to find eternal meaning and to do something that will last forever, to give your life to something that's bigger than yourself so that you can make your Heavenly Father happy. I mean, don't we all want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? I mean, can you imagine? The day we die we're standing before Jesus and that's what we hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. There is nothing more important than that. You have, you have nothing else in your life that matters more than that. I'm sorry, you just don't. All the things you worry about. And so when you position your heart to hear that only, it doesn't matter what they call you. I think that we need to crucify our need to be liked by people who don't share our values. (laughs) Can we agree to that? There's a lot of people in your life who don't give a rip about the things that are eternal and matter most. And they're more than happy to voice their displeasure to you about that. And their opinion doesn't matter. So let's go into 2023 confidence in Christ with no greater goal than to make our daddy happy because what do we have to be afraid of? What are they going to do to us? (laughs) What are they going to unfriend you? What are they going to call you a name? Tell you you're on the wrong side of history? Call you hateful? We have brothers and sisters around the world like Bobby who are living under the threat of imprisonment and death and we're worried about getting unfriended. Come on now. So don't be afraid of the chaos of our culture and our world because we worship the slain lamb who is worthy to open the scroll. And one day, all of God's purposes and plans are gonna make sense to us and we're gonna be like everybody else and we're gonna fall down and we're gonna worship him. And until then, they can't touch you. We have value and purpose in Christ and a few short li- years here to live it out and we know it's gonna be worth it. So let's get after it. Let's not waste it, right? Right? All right, let me pray. Father, we love you so much. Lord, I, I think we undervalue, Lord, what it means to make you happy. And Lord, it's clear. You've told us over and over in the scripture what it means to make you happy. So, Father, release us from the fears that we have of making other people unhappy in our effort to make you happy. Lord, I pray that you would teach us what it means to love the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to share that with people boldly. And Lord, I pray that um, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, maybe they've just never heard it clear. They don't understand what it means to really know you. Maybe they don't. They never, until today, didn't even think about the idea that you valued them. That you have a purpose and a calling on their life. Lord, I pray that they would surrender to that today, that they would give their sin to you, that they could receive forgiveness for that sin, and get on board, Lord, with the track for your kingdom. So, Lord, we, I pray, Lord, for everybody here that we would take some time this week to sit down with you and ask you, what do you have for my life, Lord? What do you want from me? What is my piece in this puzzle that I can fulfill that I would stand before you one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Lord, help us to take that time to do what you would call us to do. We love you so much, God. It's in your name we pray, amen.